Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And this week we are talking about number 64 on AFI's top 100 list of films. That film is 1976's Network. Network. Ethan, why don't you just jump right in and give us a plot synopsis? Network is the story of Howard Beale, a seasoned news anchor whose low ratings lead to his firing. However, before he's fired, he threatens to kill himself on live TV. Given a second chance to make a final statement, he waxes poetical on the fact that he is out of bullshit, hence his retirement. The ratings go through the roof, and his show is transformed into a new tabloid-style program by Diana Christensen, who works as the head of programming at the network. Diana is also developing a program with a band of radical terrorists, though Beale's new show, where he goes on a long, drawn-out, angry diatribe, becomes a huge hit. Diana, while her work flourishes, develops a spring-winter relationship with Max Schumacher, a washed-up TV exec and Howard's best friend who has been ousted from the network. Later, when Beale discovers a deal where Saudi Arabians plan to buy most of the network through secret dealings, he galvanizes his followers to protest the transaction by writing to the White House. It works, and the deal is canceled. The chairman of the company meets with Beale and convinces him to preach a new sort of message, one of corporate dehumanization rather than populism. Beale's ratings sink lower and lower. Max leaves Diana, who, as part of the TV generation, can't seem to relate in any real meaningful way to other humans. Finally, Diana and the other executives plan the assassination of Beale, which takes place on live TV by the radical terrorists, eliminating the problem of Beale's low ratings and boosting the ratings of Diana's other show. So pretty succinct in terms of plot, you'd say. I mean... If if you want to call that succinct, then we can call it that. <laughs> Ethan, I'm getting the impression you're not enamored of this film. I'll say this. I just had, it was hard to sit down and be like, what what actually happened in this film and in what order and what's important? Now, see, that might be a issue with the fact that you're tasked with dealing with the plot synopsis, whereas I'm free from that burden, that yes. particular burden. <laughs> So I think I was able to just linger a little bit more on the thematic resonance of this film. Yeah. But how about we do this? What if I gave you my pivotal scene? Yes. And then we could dive into themes and see how we feel then. Let's do it. So this pivotal scene is a bit of a longer one. It's actually two distinct scenes, but they are linked together. So I'm including them both. I actually debated including three different scenes for this film. I'll explain why a little bit later, but... Effectively, this is Howard Beale when he galvanizes his followers, as you mentioned. This is right after he has the talk with Mr. Jensen in his office. I think both of these moments are important. So Jensen tells him to repent effectively. This is a mirror scene to Howard talking about hearing the voice of God in Mm -hmm. bed. And you're on TV, dummy. That's why I'm having you do this. Jensen does the same thing, except for he is changing the kind of proselytizing that Beale is going to be doing. And then Beale does repent and then speaks to his followers. And then this is the the turn in the film we when, um, you know, Diana and Robert Duvall's character, whose name I forget, Howard, maybe. Yeah. When they realize Jensen has corrupted their false prophet and is now ruining their shares and profits because of TV, which sort of an alien notion today because TV is kind of dying out in the traditional way. 
and advertising as such is maybe not as lucrative as it once was. But leaving all that aside, let's take a listen to these two scenes. You get up on your little 21-inch screen and howl about America and democracy. There is no America. There is no democracy. There is only IBM and ITT and AT&T and DuPont, Dow, Union Carbide, and Exxon. Those are the nations of the world today. What do you think the Russians talk about in their councils of state? Karl Marx? They get out their linear programming charts, statistical decision theories, minimax solutions, and compute the price-cost probabilities of their transactions and investments, just like we do. We no longer live in a world of nations and ideologies, Mr. Beale. The world is a college of corporations, inexorably determined by the immutable bylaws of business. The world is a business, Mr. Beale. It has been since man crawled out of the slime. And our children will live, Mr. Beale, to see that perfect world in which there's no war or famine, oppression or brutality. One vast and ecumenical holding company for whom all men will work to serve a common profit in which all men will hold a share of stock all necessities provided, all anxieties tranquilized, all boredom amused. And I have chosen you, Mr. Beale, to preach this evangel. Why me? Because you're on television, dummy. 60 million people watch you every night of the week, Monday through Friday. I have seen the face of God. You just might be right, Mr. Beale. That evening, Howard Beale went on the air to preach the corporate cosmology of Arthur Jensen. You people to stand up and fight for your heritage, and you did, and it was beautiful. Six million telegrams were received at the White House. The Arab takeover of CCA has been stopped. The people spoke, the people won. It was a radiant eruption of democracy. But I think that was it, fellas. That sort of thing is not likely to happen again. Because at the bottom of all our terrified souls, we know that democracy is a dying giant, a sick, sick, dying, decaying political concept writhing in its final pain. I don't mean that the United States is finished as a world power. The United States is the richest, the most powerful, the most advanced country in the world, light years ahead of any other country. And I don't mean the communists are going to take over the world because the communists are deader than we are. What is finished? is the idea that this great country is dedicated to the freedom and flourishing of every individual in it. It's the individual that's finished. 
It's the single solitary human being that's finished. It's every single one of you out there that's finished. Because this is no longer a nation of independent individuals. It's a nation of some 200-odd million transistorized, deodorized, whiter-than-white, steel-belted bodies, totally unnecessary as human beings and as replaceable as piston rods. Well... Time has come to say, is dehumanization such a bad word? If it's good or bad, that's what is so. The whole world is becoming humanoid, creatures that look human but aren't. The whole world, not just us, we're just the most advanced country, so we're getting there first. The whole world's people are becoming mass-produced. Okay, so a lot goes on here, but talks about, Jensen that is, talks about this college of corporations, how it's ATT, IBM, ITT, it's DuPont, Dow, you know, Exxon, all these companies, Mm -hmm. and that is the new system of organization. And Howard picks up on this and talks about the dehumanization of humans through consumerism, through television, through all of these modernizing effects that we've talked about, I feel like at length throughout several of these episodes, I think mm-hmm. The Apartment and what was the Chaplin film we watched? Modern Times? Modern Times. Yeah, that both these come to mind as, as part of the effects that Beale is talking about, but he's trying to put a positive spin on it, even though he's not really selling it that well to us. I don't know what you think, but I feel like <laughs> this is all true, but it's, you know, a dark future we're seeing here. It's just a lot to take in. So the the third scene I wanted to incorporate it actually happened at the beginning of the film. It's Diana, which is Faye Dunaway's character, mm-hmm, where she Dunaway. is saying, "Your girlfriend Faye Dunaway, of course, mm-hmm. of course. How could how could I forget? Yes. Actually, how couldn't I forget? You've got so many of them that all these imaginary girlfriends of yours. But D- in D- any case, don't you dare say the word imaginary, Matt. You you're right. I'm man. sorry. <laughs> just terribly sorry." She is saying Howard Beale is the voice of this angry generation, right? The Mm -hmm. popular rage, I think, is a direct quote. And I wanted to hone in on that because I think that really is important to this film. A bunch of these people, you know, sticking their heads out the window saying, I'm so angry, so goddamn angry. And what is that? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Well, this actually leads into my thesis. Maybe it's best if I give my thesis and then we can kind of linger on some themes after that Good, you give a thesis because i didn't write one <laughs> i had a suspicion you might not have you seem to be met with some confusion by this film so hopefully i can alleviate some of this with my own thesis which is we are watching the degradation of the modern subject through television dehumanizing consumerism and impotent anger replaces human connection and love so i'm thinking of dehumanizing consumerism and impotent anger. The impotent anger is is literally what what Beale is is proselytizing with what he's offering to American people. Yeah, stick your head out the window and yell about it, which You're is right. nothing, right? It's impotent rage. Yeah. And, but he says we'll worry about the taxes, we'll worry about the Arabs, we'll worry about all this stuff later. But that that's a step that's never taken, right? They're yeah. just venting nothing. It's kind of like this is maybe not a popular notion. But it's kind of like the social justice warriors today who want to get righteously indignant about stuff, but not actually fix any pr- 
problems. We can quibble over syntax or word choice, but are we actually solving any issues? Are you fixing race by thing, saying things like that? Are you fixing gender inequality? I'm not sure. Uh, and the second part of my thesis is Max and Diana represent the seeming impossibility of reconciliation between the televised subject and their predecessors. I think it's very explicit toward the yeah. last 15 minutes of the film. Really Max is. calls it out in person. And if we interpret this film as a satire, though the director and the writer said, this is a rep representation of what's actually happening. We don't see this as a satire. I still think we can see this as a satire and say, this is the logical extreme of this situation. I don't think anyone who watches this film says that is the televised generation. They literally cannot relate. But I think they're, they do have difficulties relating. We can take this forward, what, 40 years now? And mm -hmm. think about the ways in which younger individuals, younger subjects grow up in front of a screen. You see kids at a restaurant with that dead-eyed stare at mm -hmm. their mom or dad's tablet or even their own tablet. Yeah. And that's, that's viscerally frightening to me to see something like that. Right. So I think there is a problem with relation that we can translate to today. Maybe we'll talk about more of that in three questions. But Ethan, I'm interested for your thoughts on my thesis. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is part of the reason that this film left me not, I don't know, I I, I enjoyed really a, a good portion of the beginning, but by the end I was really just kind of turned off by a lot of it. And I think what it is has a lot to do with the the Max and Diana plot where, you know, and, and you talk about it as the older, uh, the older generation dealing with the televised subject of the younger generation, which I, I mean, I think that this, we can go even further. This is, there's a lot about it. There's a lot in this film about the older generation and the younger generation. The older generation always, 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 always has a problem and, and finds areas to criticize the younger generation. In this case, he's talking about the television generation. You can't, none of you, you see everything as scripts. You have no, and, and, um, Beale goes into this too in one of his sermons or whatever, right? Like you don't, you don't understand what the real world is because everything happens to you in 30 minute blocks where the good guy gets the bad guy in the end and blah, blah, blah. So you can't figure out how the world works. You don't understand how the world works. Um, and then you and I are at a point in our lives where it, the, this is already starting, right? Where it's like the, you talk about the dead eyed kids at the table the, at, at like restaurants, which I also freaks me out. But you know, at some point those dead eyed kids are going to be our age talking about the, like, you know, the parent, oh, the parents can, parents just don't understand. And so that being played out in this film I think is easily read as like deep and meaningful and like yes you're right and 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 you can I think you can build it up like you were talking about the, this idea of televised subjects people that create this but I but at the end of the day for me it comes down to a much simpler argument of like older generations criticize younger generations because things change and that just keeps on marching and so like it sounds again it sounds very like profound there's like a lot, you know, oh, wow, they're so, they're really making a statement here. But I really think that the statement isn't as deep and interesting as perhaps it appears to be. And that, I think, is why I have trouble getting on board with this film. <laughs> I would agree with you that older generations always respond to change negatively against the younger generation. So we see that with Max and Diana yeah. talking about consuming things in 30-minute blocks. Now, our generation, and I'm sure you can experience this with me, the ways yeah. in which we kind of view some of our students, how tied they are to their phones, their inability mm -hmm. to focus for 
a small period of time because they have to return to their phone. Mm -hmm. So now instead of 30 minute blocks, we're at 140 characters. So right. it seems like that attention span, and there are studies that show that attention span is decreasing right. for people who are dependent on these kinds of things. So that's not a big mystery, but what about that allows us to think that that change is bad other than the fact that it's different than the way we did it, right? I can sit down and read a book for a few hours mm -hmm. and some of these students can't, but does that make them wrong? You right, know, yeah, we, I think that's We don't question. get to yeah. choose that necessarily. Yeah. But I will say this, this might be my defense for this film a bit, is that a lot of the stuff that they are satirizing, I think is fundamentally true of today's age. You have, and I've already forgotten his name. God, I called him God. <laughs> yeah, so yes, God, uh, the Godhead of the UBS Corporation says in the future, it's all gonna be corporations. And he names a bunch mm -hmm. of these corporations, which yeah. I think it's important to note, most of them are still around. Yeah. With the exception of DuPont, which is listed right next to Dow, because Dow just bought DuPont, yep. and the merger just went through, so largest chemical company in the world as a result of that trade. But we have these corporations that are now foundational to society, and I think with today's political climate, that's not that crazy at all to see a reality yeah. there. I mean, definitely. I mean, I think that there's some really interesting stuff because, I mean, we are in the period in, in America where corporations count as people. Corporations got more tax cuts in that bullshit tax bill than people did, and, and that's the way it works. I mean, th this is there are things that are right here, you know, and, it, and it's prescient. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm with you there for sure. I also say I take this one step further and talk about how Max is saying, I'm not going to be one of your scripts, Diana. I'm going to do this, and he also foreshadows well i'm gonna go back to my wife you know because he says his wife don't worry she has it written that i leave her and come back to you in act three so it's about this like self-fulfilling prophecy of the nature of that televised generation which i think we see a lot with it's not something i've experienced but certainly younger generations or or friends i've had who are younger who talk about their romantic engagements in that like well this person's not like this and they're not like this and so you know i'm really looking for this kind of person and the subject they're looking for is not a real person they're looking for that romantic comedy mm -hmm. lead character which is just mm -hmm. it's very strange to see that but in any case max is doing something metafictional here or he's doing something postmodern in that he is calling attention to the film as a film he's saying i'm acting in this the screenplay, which he is as an actor in a screenplay. So I think there are some interesting notions there. Yeah, this is I not to so. say it's the first postmodern blip, fourth wall breaking type thing in film, but I think this is a, a well done piece, right? It's not obtrusive in a way that <clears throat> I would have some kind of issue with. Well, the, the problem I do have with this though, and again, I think this has to do with like the, the, I, I, with the messaging, because I really like this you're right this sort of postmodern fourth wall breaking segments with diana and max but the notion that i think that the film tries to push that like understanding the world through television or or you know or, or fictional tv shows as though that's a bad thing i think is kind of bullshit because the it's what it, what it's doing is using the medium to criticize it but that's that's to say that like studying any sort of narrative any sort of storytelling any sort of entertainment and or using that as 
a way to understand our place in the world as like a, is, is some sort of wrong thing is completely and utterly against everything that I think that this podcast is about and the and our line of work is about, right? I mean, like our whole life is devoted to like understanding narratives and how do they relate to our lives and how do our lives relate to that and where's that cycle going? And so I kind of found that to be a, a dangerous notion that this film sets out and, and tired. Like, oh, you can't relate to the world without TV. But like, what's the difference between relating to the world with TV versus relating to the world with William Shakespeare or whatever, right? Like, it's all it's all story. It's all medium that you're criticizing at the end here. Well, I think that's just the surface level of what this film offers because underneath all of that, you have the backdrop of Diana's character being really unscrupulous, right? She is... Yeah, yeah, yeah willing to go to any length to get what she wants. This is showed first with her affair with Max initially, yeah. where he's kind of hitting on her, and he says, well, you know, where do you want to eat? He says, I eat anything, right? It's kind of just <laughs> illustrating the unscrupulous nature of her character, the ways in which we have a communist leader become a frustrated, basically TV corporate executive. Yeah, as capitalist. She's, as Absolutely. they're going through the scripts with their, with their uh, radical, so, so-called radical terrorist sect the economical party and mm-hmm. how they are re- they're doing a script read right there yeah. you know it's just yeah. showing the absurdity of the situation that this is the snake eating its own tail this is this capitalism consumerism televised project pushing all of these people it's homogenizing them in a way that is becoming scripted so it's not necessarily i think that it's a failure to relate with the world because of television i think it's because of everything that's behind it and I think when I just was looking at my notes here a bit and Diana is pitching ideas to get ratings up and she's talking about terrorist of the week. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, shit, like that's exactly what we have now. Maybe yeah. not explicated in the same terms, but, but damn, if this is an oppression, you know, foreshadowing or prefiguring of 2017, 2018. Now. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, some of those ideas that she pitches, like like you're talking about Terrorist of the Week or Murder of the Week or whatever, it's, it, you're right, it's funny that those, those probably felt a little more shocking than they in 1976 than they do today because, I mean, that you're right. There, it, there's, there's a podcast that I enjoy very much called My Favorite Murder. It's literally the Murder of the Week fucking podcast. Like, this is, mm-hmm. you know, these are things that, are, there are television programs like that. Obviously, we've shifted away in 2018 to you know, from, from television in the traditional sense. But yeah, I mean, these things do exist and yeah. So there is a level of sort of predicting things here that is, is highly ironic. And, and even when you talk about the snake eating its own tail, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a film criticizing in, at least what, what I was taking issue with. It's a film that's in some way criticizes relating to the world through television or whatever, or messaging through television, through the medium of film, which is essentially just big television. You know, it's again, it's using its own medium to criticize the medium just like it. So it's, again, a snake eating its own tail. Like, you're, you're going to use TV to talk shit about TV? Come on now. Well, I would argue that that is intentional and yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. the message is not necessarily that I'm criticizing TV, but that we're, we're criticizing consumerism yeah. that is using the medium of television which you could say the same thing about radio, probably. Go back sure, yeah. a couple no, decades definitely. and say, radio did this in this ways, and this also had you know, certain changes, but the television generation, the fact that we can capture it on film, I think can be a little more impactful. I've never, now I don't know if this is the case or not, but I've never heard of a radio play that then tries to have some criticism of radio, although that does sound like a 
awesome 2018 hipster project. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, listen, you want to talk about podcasts that do exactly that, I can help you out right now. But um, I don't know about exactly radio itself. But podcasting Well, I guess Welcome to Night Vale would kind of be something along those lines. Yeah, and anything from... There are so many uh, vignettes in... in I'm gonna, Another shout-out. Uh, the podcast The Truth, right? They do that. Um, where they fuck around with like radio and and and, and again po- podcasting is just on demand radio essentially. Well, Ethan, why don't we talk about our three questions? I think we have some ground to cover there. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so our first question, as always, is do we care? Yeah, I think we kind of have to care about this film at the very least for the fact that it does really predict pr- fairly accurately a lot of where we end up at this moment. I mean, it just does. I would say I definitely care about this film. I also don't think it's a secret, having talked about it for 20 minutes already, that I really like this film. I think this is a great film. It has everything I'm looking for in a film, which is not something I think I could articulate in episode one of this podcast. But having done this for over a year now, I can say I'm looking for these long philosophical debates or arguments within a film i want to see that personified through the characters so we've got this existential consumerist modernized question of humanity the humanity dehumanity and we have that represented by max the pre-television generation which i think you can stick anything in there you could say pre-twitter right pre-radio whatever you want it to be and then diana the character that is what Max calls her television incarnate, but what I take to mean she's consumerist incarnate, right? She's mm-hmm. consumerism incarnate. And so I think you could play with the definitions of those there, but I really like having these philosophical or philosophic underpinnings brought forth by characters in action. In this case, it's romantic action. It's a plot of, of a romance in that sense. And I really appreciate that. So I think it brings together a lot of things I'm looking for in a film that you don't necessarily find in today's blockbusters necessarily. Yeah, I had a feeling you would really like this film. (laughs) Well, let's ask our second question, and what do we owe to this film? I don't know. This is kind of a hard one to answer without making sweeping generalizations. Sure, I agree, because I had never heard of this film. I didn't know anything about it. I did know I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. That, I knew that. See, I actually didn't know that. I also didn't know any of the characters that were in it. I didn't know Faye Dunaway, Robert Duvall, William Holden. I didn't know all these. I didn't know any of these people would be in it. Oh, so yeah. So I had yeah, no yeah. idea what this film was. I got scared there. I thought you said you didn't know who Faye Dunaway or Robert Duvall was. I was like, wait, what? Uh, uh, what? Well, I'd have to know who William Holden was, right? Because he's Pope, or is it Bishop? I forget the uh, Catholic name entered there from the Wild Bunch. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. You're Yes, you are 100% right. He's also going to be on Bridge of the River Kwai later on, maybe a year or so from now on the podcast. Oh, yeah. So he's actually in contention for that most appearances lead character on the list as well. It's, and that's Hanks right now. He's winning, right? Hanks for president. Tom Hanks or Dustin Hoffman has a few spots in there as well. Yeah, you're right. Hoffman. Yeah, I, it's hard for me to say what do we owe to this film. I think having watched it, it definitely is very prescient. And so we can't owe to it having course corrected us certainly i mean this is like it would be great for me to be like what do we owe to this film populism because there's a i mean but i don't know that like that you can't say that 
yeah, there, I, I think there are just a lot of things in here, and I and I think it sets up a lot of things that like just end up coming true in the world, which is really weird. And I don't know necessarily, mm-hmm. it's uh, right because if it were if it were depending on that, it would have changed him, right? Like if we right. were to see this and say, oh, terrorist of the week, let's not do that because see how this logical extreme of the satire. Clearly, we didn't pay attention because we have something very similar in today's news media. <laughs> right. I do think having watched this, I can see the skepticism of a news corporation of the news in general. Now, I know through all the president's men and history, right, the whole big brother idea, losing faith in the government, Watergate scandal, all of mm-hmm. these things ad nauseum. This might contribute to the same are as part of the same wave, therefore contributing to it as well, that we're losing faith in the propaganda yeah. of our country and our news media, our news outlets. So maybe something along those lines is something we owe to it. Yeah, it feels very 70s in its skepticism. I mean, it is very much of its moment. Yeah, and, and of course, we're all products of that time as well. It's why today we have such a skepticism of what we see on TV or on the internet. Or why some people double down on that and mm. think that that is the absolute truth. Right. The fake news media. In the fake news media awards, they would be on January 17th. I'm a genius, very stable fake news media. I don't want to be over simplistic <laughs> or over generalized too much, but I very much see Trump in all of, all of this. Yes. Thing. I mean, yes. It's very obvious, right? I mean, and Trump is a populist, or at least pretends to be one. I mean, so it's yeah, it absolutely. This is, and again, this is why I think this movie feels really like modern in the moment. It's dealing with you know news media and how people feel about it, and like populism, and like stick your head out the window and scream, and like you mm-hmm. know, ah, oh, the Saudis are ruining everything. I mean, it's just, it's populism, and that's what Trump taps into, right? Well, instead of like the contented masses, we now have the discontented masses, but they're still a mass and they're still impotent so yeah feel like you're doing something but you still do nothing with your impotent rage right. and i think that's the modern element that's different than the revolutionary ideals that this country was founded on that other countries of that time were also founded upon so it just feels oh, it feels so scary to me which i think is you were already answering it, our third question which is of course does it hold up that it feels modern yeah. in this moment, and it is now 40 years old, 42, 41 yeah. years old. And I and I mean, and when I say, you know, like that it, it feels modern, I mean, it feels modern in more than just, you know, the sort of content of the screenplay, but also the, the Maison scene that we see throughout and the way our transitions. And I mean, the, the cinematography essentially also feels quite modern. And, uh, you know, Olivia watched a little bit of it with me in between her uh it's animal crossing she's playing animal crossing and and watching a little bit of the movie she was like this really does feel like a she's like this feels like a brand new movie and i was like yeah it really does especially at the beginning just the way that people move within it it almost feels like a period piece of the 70s yeah i agree i also think you mentioned the actual content of the screenplay itself i think it has a very modern ending which is something i also said about the african queen right i thought it had a smart snappy ending which this one also does the way in which beale is gunned down by the economical party terrorists and it kind of completes the circle the snaking its own tail ouroboros whatever you want to call it this kind of 
fulfilling the all-encompassing pervasive nature of consumerism and the ways in which we're going to sell out to that right and in, in in doing so sell out our ideals or our hopes or our dreams right and of course and i and i really enjoyed the the last little bit of dialogue he was the first man to ever be killed for low ratings <laughs> and then you have all those commercials playing alongside yes! beale's uh, dead body which is a very modern way to end a film i think i think that's very yeah. well done so i think it holds up absolutely yeah, i think, I think it, it deserves a spot well. on the list and it's perhaps not an optimistic movie but it's no, one I, I very much appreciate. <laughs> in the same way, I'll say that I appreciated War Machine. So if you haven't listened to our bonus episode, you know, drop by on Patreon, patreon.com, spoilers cast. Drop us five bucks a month. Check out all that bonus content in addition to the regular bonus episodes, which we are in the double digits at least. What are we in the 24, 25, somewhere? Yeah, in those something bonus like episodes. that. I mean, there's a shitload of content, guys. You and on top of that, out. we got the double down episodes with season two of Stranger Things. And we had our first ever spooktacular with The Shining. So lots of good things going on there. So please check that out. Also, you can go to our Twitter. Ethan, what is our handle on Twitter? We are at SpoilersCast. Yeah, it's kind of pervasive. SpoilersCast all over the place. Next time, we are going to be checking out number 63 on AFI's Top 100 list. And that's a little film called Cabaret. Until next time, I've been Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. I'm mad as hell and I don't want any spoilers anymore! There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at BeccaTheKnight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much So I do what I do. When I'm through, then I'm through. And I'm through. Toodaloo.